Our scripture passage uh, this evening comes from the book of Job, and so I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Job chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 13 through uh, 22. Job chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through uh, 22. You know the uh, story uh, of of Job, and we'll be picking up the reading after um, after uh, Satan uh, has appeared uh, before the Lord uh, mysteriously. Hard for us to understand uh, how that is possible, uh, but he appears before the Lord uh, and uh, has um, been presented with Job by the Lord Himself uh, as one who is righteous. Uh, one of his servants, uh, and uh, he has been um, accused, Satan has accused the Lord of uh, receiving worship from someone like Job only because of the good things that God gives him, but that if he were to take away all the good things that Job has in his life, if he were to suffer, uh, if he were to lose things in his life, that he would surely reject God himself. And so, uh, verse 12, uh, we would read there that the Lord uh, allows Satan uh, to uh, have Job in his hand. Um, And so, we pick up the reading in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, at verse 13. And so, this is the word of the Lord. Now, there was a day when his sons, that's Job's sons, and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity you've given us on this Lord's Day to come before you and Uh, to read the Scripture together and and now together to pray to You that You would help us to see uh, the glories of the the truth that are here for us in this passage. 
Uh, Encourage us, we pray. We pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would be working in us and among us uh, as we consider these words together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, biblical counselor, Paul uh, Tripp. And uh, Paul Tripp has written many uh, very helpful books for the Christian life. And uh, somewhere, uh, Paul Tripp writes this. There is a way in which we don't live our life, uh, but our life lives us. Many of us get carried along by its locations, relationships, situations, responsibilities, opportunities, and activities without stopping to look, listen, and consider. Huge chunks of time can pass virtually unnoticed. And then something happens. People who study these things, says Tripp, call them trigger events. A trigger event, he says, forces us to stop, open our eyes, and look around with newfound awareness. The spiritual battle during times of suffering is fundamentally won or lost in how we interpret the things we're now suffering, not the suffering itself. In fact, it is more powerful than that. Our interpretations actually determine what we see and how we see it as sinners The problem with our interpretation, says Tripp, is that it tends to be narrow and selective. Sin not only affects what we do, it also affects what we think and how we see. And then he writes this. How do you respond to loss? Suffering will reveal the ruling desires of our hearts and expose what we have been living for and where we've tried to find meaning and purpose. The death of our dreams has the power to uncover the significant gap between our confessional theology and functional theology uh, that we all have. Uh, of course, what he's saying here, there's a confessional theology is the things you believe, uh, the things that we confess. For instance, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, it's the doctrine we profess with our mouth and uh, is written on paper. Uh, functional theology is the doctrine we profess with our life, and is written on our hearts. It's how, how we actually live. We actually live what we truly believe, not just what we say we believe. And so uh, tonight we want to consider what was written uh, on the heart of Job. Uh, the devil, you know, has accused him of being a fair-weather Christian, and he has said basically that Job would drop his faith in God Uh, At the first sign of trouble, this is uh, Satan's charge against Job. It's really his charge against us as well. That as long as we're receiving good things from God, uh, we will come to church and we will worship him. Uh, But if we start to suffer, if if things get difficult as being a Christian, we'll give them up in an instant. Uh, That is what the devil believes of you. And it's what he believed of of Job. And Job was about to experience then the greatest uh, trial uh, of his life. Now, of course, Job is a long story, and uh, we're just picking it up in one passage here, but let's remind ourselves of the three uh, persons uh, who Job chapter 1 would introduce us to. We didn't read that first part of the passage, but three main persons, and uh, we can uh, remember them this way. We have a sterling servant. Uh, we have a subordinate Satan, and we have a sovereign God. These are just the persons that were interested, uh, that were in, uh, uh, introduced to here in the first chapter. You'll remember, uh, Job is called the man from us, and he is described by the narrator and the Lord himself in chapter 1 as a man blameless and upright, 
who fears God and turns away from evil. That's how he's described. He's described as a sterling servant of the Lord. He's a righteous servant of the Lord. He's held up in the book of James, you'll remember, as one who endured and persevered through suffering. He is a faithful servant of God. He's not perfect. He knows he's a sinner. You find that out in the rest of the book of Job. Uh, he recognizes his sin. Uh, he knows his children may have sinned. That's why he offers sacrifices for them. He speaks in the book of Job of a mediator. He speaks of a redeemer uh, in this book. He's a sinner, uh, but he's a man of faith. And the opening of the book tells us he is a righteous servant of God. He knows God. He trusts God. He loves God. Uh, and he walks with God. But he's a real man who will experience real suffering. Uh, he's not identified with Abraham or the patriarchs or the covenant people. Um, but clearly he's a man who walked with God. He's one person we meet. We also meet the Satan. And that is exactly how he's referred to in the scripture, the Satan. Satan here in Job is not a, uh, is not a name of the devil per se, but here it is a title for the devil. That is, he is the Satan. He is the adversary. That's what Satan means, adversary. He's the one who opposes. And here in Job 1, he presents himself before the Lord, along, we're told, with the sons of God, uh, the angels. And he's opposed here to the man from us and to God himself. He's introduced here in the Scripture as the great accuser. And he accuses Job, for instance, of loving the gifts of God rather than God himself. He accuses Job of using God. You know, simply being a follower of God to get what you want from God rather than because of who he is and what he has done. Uh, and really, uh, the Satan accuses God, too, in Job 1 of boasting in a follower whom uh, he protects and coddles and keeps from all the real difficulties of life. If you read that earlier passage later tonight, um, that's what Satan really says to God. Well, you, the only reason he follows you. Uh, is because you coddle him and you protect him and you don't, you don't allow any difficulties into his life. But through it all, uh, the Satan is reporting to God in the book of Job here in the opening chapters. He's been canvassing the earth back and forth here and there, seeking to destroy and cause trouble, but he must answer uh, to God. Uh, he comes, he presents himself, with the, but uh, the Lord says to him, from where do you come? And, and the Satan has to report to God. Satan is under the authority of God in the book of Job. He's answerable to God and he must be in submission to God. He is subordinate to him. Verse 12 makes that clear. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so there is the subordinate Satan. There's the sterling servant. And then, of course, we're introduced to the person of God. And he is absolutely sovereign over all. Seven times in verses 6 through 12. You can check that later as you read through that passage. Seven times uh, God is referred to as the Lord. And uh, we're given a glimpse uh, earlier in chapter 1 uh, into the spiritual realm. That is, the Lord reigns. Angels bow before him. The Satan must submit to him. His servants are known by him. He is the faithful covenant God. He is the Lord of his people. He's ruler and master over all. And uh, ultimately, I'm sure you've read through the book of Job. Ultimately, Job is not simply a book about suffering or endurance under suffering. It's a book about God 
It's a book about uh, the majesty and the glory uh, and the mystery of God and his ways. And so that he is Lord uh, is often, of course, forgotten in times of, of suffering. But those are the three persons that we're introduced to uh, in the opening chapter of Job. We have a sterling servant of God. We have a subordinate Satan. And we have a sovereign God. And here's the scenario. The Satan accuses Job the servant of being a fair-weather Christian who has no true love for this sovereign God. And the question is, uh, in the book of Job, was the Satan right? Is he right? Is he right, for instance, about professing Christians today in America? Is he right about you? Is he right about me? That you and I only love and serve God for his gifts, and as soon as there is trouble, um, we're gone. Is he right? And so in verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, uh, Well, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him don't stretch out your hand. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so sorrows like sea billows will roll into his life. We read in verses 13 all the way down to verse 19, waves of affliction. I think that's a good way to describe it. One thing after another in the life of Job, loss after loss. Uh, Verses 13 to 15, his oxen and donkeys are stolen. Uh, Sabaean raiders kill the servants. Think of the, the queen of Seba or the queen of Sheba. Think of the southern Arabian desert. And uh, so the animals are stolen, servants are killed. One man escapes to tell the story. Verse 16, fire falls from heaven. Often that's a, a phrase used in the Scripture for, for lightning. And uh, sheep and servants, we find out, are destroyed. And one man escapes to tell Job. Verse 17, camels are stolen, servants killed by the Chaldeans. Uh, Chaldeans, you remember, are north of Assyria. They're mentioned in the book of Genesis. Uh, One man escapes to tell Job another wave. And then verses 18 and 19, a great wind, a storm, a hurricane, a tornado, a cyclone. Something sweeps over the home where Job's sons and daughters are feasting together. Uh, The sons and daughters for whom we read elsewhere here in Job. Job would pray for early every morning just in case they they may have sinned. Uh, He offers a sacrifice for them asking God to forgive them if they had sinned the night before. And they're gathered in a house and the storm comes and the Bible says a house collapses and Job's children are dead and one man escapes to bring the news to Job. And so there's four reports, one after the other, and they do come on like waves of the ocean beating against the shore. We know that because verse 16, 17, 18 repeat this phrase, while he was yet speaking. Uh, there came another, and there came another, uh, and there came another. Kind of like when uh, maybe you're sick <clears throat> and you're dealing with uh, uh, maybe disobedient children, and then the phone rings, and there's trouble on the phone, and then there's a knock on the door. You know, One thing after another. And so his farm animals, his livestock, his beasts of burden, his food source, uh, the fields, his servants, and finally and terribly, all his children were told seven sons and three daughters either stolen, destroyed, uh, or, or killed. Now clearly the Bible is saying here that Job 
loses, loses all, and he seems to lose all at once. One thing after another. And we think, well, if it was perhaps only his possessions, uh, but not his children. If perhaps there were years or months or days in between the reports, you know, perhaps one of his children, perhaps some of his children injured, but yet living. But no, the Bible says all for Job is lost. And remember now, Satan, uh, Satan is no doubt expectant at this point. Surely this is the time Job will curse God. When there has been wave uh, after wave uh, after wave uh, after wave of, of trial. Now there's four servants they survive, but all they have is reports of Devastation. Job's wife would be spared, but would not prove to be much of an encouragement. Uh, but in fact, her, her words would be used themselves as a tool of Satan to discourage Job. There are three friends we read later in the book of Job who come later, but in the end, the Lord's judgment about them is that they didn't speak truthfully about the Lord, so they're not going to be any help to him either. So even what remains to Job will be part of his trial and suffering. So, so... Wave after wave after wave after wave. Now remember the context of these waves of affliction and rolling billows. Job 1 verse 8 says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. This is the, uh, the divine commentary uh, on the life of Job. This is the Lord himself uh, speaking about Job. And he refers to Job uh, at the beginning of the book as my servant. Have you considered him the Satan? This opening chapter full of devastation and destruction and suffering is also a chapter filled with words of tenderness and love. The sovereign God is Job's Lord. It's the word Yahweh, uh, the covenant God, it's full of love and mercy and faithfulness. So to the Lord, here's the thing, to the Lord, Job is my servant. And in fact, it would not be too much to say that the Lord uh, boasts in Job and says to the Satan, have you, have you considered uh, my servant Job? There is no one like him on the face of the earth. He's blameless. He's an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Uh, he's the Lord's servant. The Lord loves Job. He takes delight in Job. In the book of Exodus, God's people are referred to as his treasured, treasured possession. And you'll know that in 1 Peter, we are called as Christians a people for his own possession. And like your treasured possessions, um, if, you have, if you have someone come over to your house, um, someone comes over to our house, they would come into our living room and they would see in our, our bookcases on the wall, not just books, but they would see some, uh, some Civil War uh, paraphernalia there, uh, you know, an old uh, thing of this, old thing of that. And, and, uh, and say, oh, they ask what it is. I say, oh, look. Uh, yes, this is a kind of a special possession I have here. Not my wife. It's not her treasured possession, but, you know, it's a special 
possession of mine. And you have things in your house. If someone comes to your house, it's a treasured possession. Something, something belongs to you and uh, something you're thankful for and, uh, and something you, you like to show to others. That's what you do with treasured possessions. You're, you're thankful for them. And God's people are treasured possessions. The Lord takes delight in His people. He's glorified uh, through them. And that's the thing. The book of Job is about a, a servant who's loved by God, who yet all these billows come. It's God who orders and ordains and governs and superintends uh, even the sufferings of Job. Wrote one, God does not witness to the world by taking His people out of suffering, but rather by demonstrating His grace through them in the midst of pain, said George Swinock, the Puritan. The best of saints have borne the worst of sufferings. And so clearly, uh, we're to learn from these waves of suffering in the life of Job, friends, that for God's people, suffering is not a sign. It's not a sign that God has left us or abandoned us. Suffering is not a sign uh, that the Lord is looking the other way or taking His hands off the wheel uh, or uh, somehow asleep at the controls of the universe. He will not slumber or sleep. Psalm 121 says to the believer, The Lord is your keeper. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He does not go on vacation. He is never distracted. And He accomplishes His perfect His perfect will. But we also know this, wrote Derek Thomas, God will place His children, His treasured possessions, those in whom He delights, His servants. God will place His children in situations where it will not be easy to believe. Where great reserves of faith will be needed to survive. Where the most basic convictions will be called into question. There will be times when it will be difficult to believe that God is gracious. When faith will be stretched to the limits of endurance and the love of God is veiled and obscured. These are the moments that God has brought about. He may use Satan in the process, but ultimately it comes from Him. Our suffering is at the hands of one who loves us, not one who despises us. God, and not Satan, has the key to our recovery. And so, sorrows like sea billows roll, my servant Job. But, we find in this passage too, after all that comes, that our suffering uh, teaches us... Teaches us... um, to sing. Notice what we read. Verse 20. Then, so after these uh, sea billows roll over him, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord... Gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we find here that yes, Job mourns. We read that he tore, tears his robe, he shaves his head. These are uh, common signs of humility and brokenness before God. And yes, oxen, donkey, sheep, camels, uh, but that's just possessions. And uh, like the one who taught us, Job knew that a man's life does not consists in the abundance of his possessions. He knows all that. 
but there has been his, his children. Uh, the same children for whom he prayed, uh, perhaps that very morning, his sons and daughters. Uh, they're called young people in verse 19, and Job mourns. Now, they're probably described as young here in comparison with Job, because in verses 13 and 18, we find out clearly the oldest uh, brother has his own home, and uh, there's other uh, brothers in the home who, ha- or who have their own house, and they go to each other's house and invite one another in, so they're obviously old enough to have their own homes. But now, they are all, they are all dead, and so Job mourns. And the Bible says he, he fell to the ground uh, and worshipped. The word worship there means to, to lie prostrate face down, touching the earth, bowing in humility and adoration before the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're supposed to take notice here. You're supposed to stop right there. All this happens to him. And he mourns, but then the Bible says he fell on the ground and worshipped. Worshipped? All gone? Lost? All dead? Mourning his loss? His robes are torn? His head is shaved? He's on the ground humbled and broken and devastated, and yet the Bible says he fell on the ground and, and worshipped before the Lord. Worshipped. Worship, friends, is always appropriate. Robert Murray McShane, 19th century Scottish preacher, said this, There's a great want about all Christians who have not suffered. Some flowers must be broken or bruised before they emit any fragrance. So here's Joe, broken, bruised, but the Bible says he's on his face before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. In fact, verse 21 is almost presented to us as a song of praise, that is, as a doxology. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, friends, there is deep theology in the words of Job. I enter this world, says Job, with nothing. I enter alone and helpless and dependent. I leave this world, says Job, with nothing. I leave alone and helpless and dependent. Job compares himself to a newborn baby. That is, he says, at my birth... I did not take anything material or anything physical with me into the world. Imagine a a doctor's surprise and a mother's surprise if out comes a baby boy and uh, and as baby boy comes out of the womb, a suitcase behind him. Oh. No. I will not, at my death, says Job, take anything material or anything physical with me out of the world either. No possessions, no clothing, no computers, no money, and no cell phone. It's with you all the time now. You will not leave it. But you will leave it then. No family with you. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You and the Lord. The fact is, Job knows everything he has belongs to God. Everything I have has come from God, says Job. 
as James puts it, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. All of it. And he knows the Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. That is, everything I have belongs to him because everything I have uh, is gift from him. Don't miss that. The Lord gave, that is, everything, and the Lord takes away. Everything is gift from Him. Job understands the Lord is in control. Job understands this is not an accident. I am His servant. I am His steward. Whether it's gifts or abilities, possessions, health, wealth, wife, sons, daughters, gift from Him. Oh, we get this really wrong. Uh, Children, the psalmist says, are a reward from Him. They are a gift from Him. Don't ever think that, uh, you know, mom and dad, I think we'll decide to have a child. The Lord decides to give children with all their quirks, personalities, disabilities, whatever it is. As such, it all belongs to Him, you see. And he has every right, Job knows, to give and take away as he deems best. And here's the thing. Job has the same view of God's blessedness and loveliness and beauty in his giving as in his taking. So God is just as glorious and majestic and beautiful and holy and to be worshipped and adored in his giving as in his taking. In either case, Job is there to worship him and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what we confess in the Westminster Confession of Providence. God, the great Creator of all things, doth uphold, do you believe this? Doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible, and in other words, He can't make a mistake, infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable, unchangeable counsel of His own will to the praise of the glory of His wisdom and power and justice and goodness and mercy. Said one Job here in these verses, sings a doxology, think about this, sings a doxology in the ashes over the graves of his ten children, Job preaches submission to the will of the Lord. There is a song God's people must learn to sing in the darkness. It's a song of surrender and a song of praise. It's a song that confesses that the heavenly potter has every right to do as he wills with earthly clay. That God is sovereign in all the trials of life. Our suffering teaches us to sing. And this is how it ends in verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin. Or charge God with wrong. On his face, worshiping the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, the Bible says, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So yes, he's mourning in the face of suffering. Yes, he's submitting in the face of suffering. Yes, there's humility in the face of suffering. And yes, there's falling down to the ground before the Lord, worshiping Him in the face of suffering. But what Job did not do in the face of suffering, the Bible says, was to sin or to charge God with wrong. Or as in, God, you've made a mistake. 
So often, friends, in the light of God's difficult providences, we complain and we get angry. We stop going to church, maybe. We refuse to pray. Our Bibles might stay closed. Uh, We don't go to Bible study. We don't serve. We think sinful thoughts of God and we charge Him with being unloving or uncaring or unjust. And this, the Bible says, Job did not do. Whenever Job wept, he wept in faith. And when Job cried, he cried in faith. When Job stood at the grave of his ten children, he stood there in faith. And when the waves of the ocean of affliction and the sea billows of suffering rolled over Job, the Bible says he did not sin and charge God with wrong, but instead he he worshipped God. He was at God's feet. Even though he suffered, even though he didn't understand, even in the darkness, even in the storm, he worshipped the Lord. Wrote William Henry Green, professor at uh, Westminster or Princeton Seminary, late 19th century. He wrote this, Job meekly bows not before the stroke of inevitable fate, not simply before the resistless energy of almighty power, nor simply before the righteous control of the sovereign ruler, but before the goodness of the Lord. A sense of which now fills his heart proportion to the magnitude of the reverse he has sustained. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what Green says. The bitterness, the bitterness of his loss is made the measure of the preciousness of the blessings God has given. That's what he says. The severity of his trial consists in parting with what God had bestowed. Every pang that now rends his heart is a fresh proof how gracious God has been. The magnitude of the loss, says Green, determines the value of the gift. And the depth of his anguish enhances his grateful sense of the goodness of the giver. And this is gold. The more deeply he mourns the treasures which have been taken away from him, the higher is his appreciation of the gracious kindness of him who bestowed them. Thus, the more profoundly he grieves, the more fervently he still blesses the name of the Lord. You see, because these gifts were so dear to him, that's why he mourns when it's, it's time to give them up. But by giving them up and worshiping the Lord, he's simply expressing to the Lord how thankful he has been for those gifts in the first place. Friends, we know that no matter what our suffering may be as servants of God, no matter how painful or how difficult, uh, even as we think about the life of Job, we can't uh, dream of uh, having to experience what Job suffered in this chapter uh, we, we also cannot, cannot imagine, uh, what, if, what if Job had had the, uh, the fullness of revelation? Here we have Job in, in the great uh, sea billows of suffering, prostrate before the Lord, yet worshiping Him, saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, how much more so should we not worship the Lord in our times of suffering when our resources are so much greater? Because no matter how much or how long we may suffer, no matter what 
it might be or how difficult or how devastating, we know that there is one who suffered more. Wrote one, because Jesus drank so deeply of bitter suffering, He is able to steady our hand as we drink what for us is a bitter draught, but is, by comparison with His, a diluted cup. There is one, the Bible says, who suffered. We confess it in the Apostles' Creed under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead and buried. And the Bible says as he knelt uh, in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed earnestly for the cup of God's wrath to be taken from him. And as his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground, as it were, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus did not sin. Uh, He did not charge his father with wrong. He was obedient, the Bible says, obedient even unto death. Friends, Job suffered, but Jesus suffered even unto death. And more than that, the Bible says he suffered uh, the wrath of God. He suffered hell itself in the place of sinners, something Job never did. As God's wrath against sin was poured out on the Savior at the cross, Job worshipped the Lord Writes one, Job was not driven from God, but praised Him in the midst of suffering, even when to human understanding and feeling there was only occasion for anguish. He destroyed the suspicion of Satan that Job only feared God for the sake of His gifts, not for His own sake, and remained, Job did, in the midst of temptation. The conqueror. You see, Satan, that was Satan's attack against Job. He said, Job only loves you, God, when you've given him all these gifts. But if you take away those gifts, he will curse you. He doesn't really love you. He doesn't really fear you. And yet all these things are, are taken away. As they may be taken away from you. Or from I. And they're taken away from Job. And yet, he is found prostrate before the Lord in worship. How much more so, friends, must we worship the Lord who has conquered sin and death and hell by His cross and His resurrection through whom we are made more than conquerors in Him who loved us. And because Jesus was faithful, because Jesus was the suffering servant, because He endured the cross despising It's shame because he is our great high priest, the son of God. We are called to hold fast our confession for we and Job do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, the Bible says, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help, to help in time of need. I don't know if you're in a time of need. I don't know you very well. And you don't know me. But no doubt in the past you have been in a time of need. Or you are currently in a time of need. Uh, or, uh, or you can count on it. You will be, and I will be, in a time 
of need. And the Bible says because we have a Savior who has uh, suffered in our place, there is grace and mercy to help so that whatever might come, whatever we might be called upon to suffer and endure, that we too, like Job, can hold fast uh, to our confession and be found before the Lord, uh, worshiping Him, drawing near to Him, and to confess uh, with Job that the Lord gave, my loving covenant God gave, and the Lord, my loving covenant God uh, has taken away. But whether it's in the giving or whether it's in the taking, blessed be the name of the Lord. May that be so for you and may that be so uh, for me. Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this uh, encouraging and challenging passage of Scripture Oh Lord, it's hard for us in uh, 2022 to perhaps place ourselves in the time of Job so many, many years ago. And yet, Lord, as we live upon this earth, we know that those, those sea billows of suffering do come. And they do come upon us. And at times they seem to come uh, many manifold ways. And one upon the other. But Lord, we pray that today from this passage you would remind us that the adversary... Uh, believes that we only love You, we only follow You, we only worship You, Lord, when um, we have gifts all around us. And he believes that we only love the gifts and not the giver. And so, dear God, we pray that You would be gracious to us, that if that time comes in our own life, when, when these things are taken from us, oh Lord, we pray that with, with Job, by Your grace, knowing the One who has suffered in our place even unto death, and has conquered sin and death and hell, that we would be found with Job, saying that You, the Lord, gave, and we are so thankful, and You, the Lord, has taken away, and that the time of our stewardship has come to an end for whatever it might be. But whether it's in the giving or in the taking, that we would say with Job, Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. May it be so for Your glory and for our Good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.